Great. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Oh, that wasn't too bad. Good morning, everybody. Great. That's what was better than some mornings. <laughs> How are you all doing? Good. You're looking at me nervously. I wonder why that is. Um, this morning, we are going to continue our Money, Sex and Power series by talking about sex and what the Bible has to say about sex. Now, I don't mind who's in this room, okay? But just so you know, I'm not going to hold back on using language and concepts. It's kind of quite graphic, in, in just not in a couple of places. So if you have got any young ones with you, that's totally your choice, and it'll be your opportunity to explain things to them over lunch. So whether you want to do that or not is up to you. I need your sunglasses, Jenna. Here you go. Um, like the issue of money that we've been talking about for the last few weeks, this is a really important one for us as disciples of Jesus. Okay, what the Bible has to teach on sex and sexuality often really jars with our current culture. Okay, those who are walking with Jesus in the area of their sex lives will really stand out against the culture around them. Maybe that's your experience, or maybe it isn't. Maybe this subject makes you feel nervous or fearful or anxious. I can promise you it's an area where there really is freedom on offer. Where there is grace and there is love and there is freedom. So whatever your background, whatever your experience, whatever's gone on in your life. okay, The New Testament does have a basic rule concerning sex. The only proper context for sex, the Bible says, is between a man and a woman in a marriage. Now that sounds very simplistic. But basically, the, any other kind of sexual expression, as far as the Bible is concerned, is, is out of bounds. Now you might think, well, that sounds a bit draconian. It sounds a bit limiting. Maybe it sounds a bit exclusive. Surely, surely in this day and age, we can be more relaxed than that. And, and I'm really not intending to exclude anyone. But our job um, as believers, and my job as the leader of the church, is to try and teach what the Bible says and work out how we best apply that to our culture. And Jesus did challenge people all the time actually and it's okay to be challenged that's how we grow actually the, the bible's teaching on sex and sexuality well it challenges everyone no matter what where you're at it challenges you you know the fact that sex is only for within a heterosexual marriage well that challenges gay people who say why can't we enjoy sex outside of a heterosexual marriage it challenges single people who say, why can't we enjoy sex outside of marriage? And it challenges married people who say, what, you mean I have to have just sex with one person for the rest of my life? The Old Testament's pretty clear on this. And Jesus takes it even further. Jesus doesn't just say, don't do it. He says, don't even think about it. It's all gone very quiet. As I've said before, the Bible's, sex, the Bible's standards on sex can be really hard to live up to. But as well as an incredible challenge, they really bring an incredible blessing. And we think that's really important, which is why we want to spend some time teaching into them. So we're going to explore that over the next couple of three, this week and the next two Sundays. I'm pretty sure there's stuff here for everyone. Today I want to give you a general introduction to what the Bible says about sex and how it works best. Next week Chris is going to pick up the mantle and particularly talk about the issue of pornography, which is um, pr- pretty rampant. Probably in the church as much as in the world. And it's just one that everybody, many, many people struggle with. And so Chris is going to talk into that. And the week after, Joe is going to mop up the mess probably. Um, and talk a little bit about, perhaps a little bit about what it is to be single in all of this. And a little bit about 
what the, um, how Jesus dealt with people. And there's a particular story which I'm not going to talk about today, but which is Jesus encounters this woman who's been caught in adultery. And he just treats her with incredible grace. So I just want you to remember all of that. Um, sex in our culture, it's, it's a fairly obvious statement to say that our culture is consumed by sex. And understandably so, because it's a wonderful and memorable and exhilarating, and it's designed to be valued. Sometimes our culture doesn't just value it, it worships it. I mean, it's everywhere, isn't it? You know, in advertising. I, I've thought about showing you some examples, but they're not helpful, to be honest. But, but you know, it's, it's all over the place. Sex sells everything. You know? You want to sex up your phone, car, holiday, whatever. Most of us spend some time thinking about this. Oh, by the way, as we're doing this talk, I might inadvertently say something that sounds like a double entendre, okay? If I do, you've heard it, and that's fine. <laughs> Just so you know, that's okay. I'm with that. I'm okay with that. According to a, th- a survey in 2013, the average number of sexual partners in the UK, average, is nine for a man and five for a woman. That's, I'm, I mean, I don't know how they do these surveys, because I'm not sure that they can get people to answer them honestly anyway. But that's, that's what it says. It's estimated that 70% of adults will have had a one-night stand at some point in their lives. According to a different survey, if you are out and looking for a partner, you're looking for love, well, there's a sort of average number of partners that you would prefer, in an ideal world, your partner would have had. Does that make sense? So you're going to look for somebody, and do you know what that average number is? You know, this is when they ask people, how many, in an ideal world, how many sexual partners would you like your partner to have had before they come and meet up with you? And the answer is, the average is about 10. Okay? More than 10, and you'll be seen as a bit promiscuous. You know, less than 10, and you're considered sexually inexperienced. So both men and women in this survey said that about 10 lovers was about right. And what do you think of that? So sex is on people's minds. And as I said, that's understandable. It's a God-given and wonderful gift. But frequently as we're experiencing sex in this country, there's also a sense in which we as a society might not be as fulfilled as we'd like to be. Another survey in 2015 said less than half of UK adults are actually satisfied with their sex life. That's over 50% who are saying it could be better. It seems like <clears throat> excuse me, the sexual revolution of the 1960s and 70s and onwards it claims to have brought sexual release, and, but it doesn't seem to have delivered on the freedom that it promised. And at best, people are confused about sex. So what does the Bible have to say about this? Well, the Bible says that sex is meant to be joyful and memorable. Joyful and memorable. And within the context of marriage. You see, first and foremost, contrary to popular opinion, the Bible is not down on sex, not at all. Genesis chapter 1, the first chapter of the Bible, he says, Be fruitful and multiply. Have sex and have it often. In Genesis 2 and 24, there's a verse where he talks about, this is in the story of Adam and Eve. Sorry, the slide's a bit cheesy, but I quite like, I quite like it. The verse is good. This is why a man leaves his father and a mother and becomes attached to his wife, and they become one flesh. 
And the next verse after that says, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. See, marriage is a covenant that establishes a relationship between a man and a woman who didn't previously have a blood or family relationship. Not the same as, you know, if you, if you have a, a parent or a child, okay, then you already have a covenant, a blood relationship between you. But if you come together in a marriage, you don't. And so those who choose to voluntarily relate to one another in a family circumstance, in a family situation, that's what marriage is. And marriage is this covenant where man and woman take each other and they say, you, you're not related to me, but I'm going to relate to you now as if you were the closest of my blood relatives. And in the Bible, whenever there's a covenant, there's a sign. So for example, when God promises after the flood never to flood the world again, there's a sign. The sign is a rainbow. In the New Testament, when somebody follows Jesus and covenants to follow Jesus for themselves, the sign is baptism. And in marriage, the sign of the covenant is this one flesh union, which is signified by the act of sexual intercourse. And Adam and his wife were both naked and they knew no shame. In effect, God is saying the symbol of your promise to treat one another in the way that a blood relative would or would be required to is that you get to share one another's bodies. Naked and no shame. Sex is designed to be something that we never feel awkward about. We're meant to remember sex for the rest of our lives. That's a wonderfully joyful thing and potentially also a really painful thing. There's right, it's right there. Right there at the beginning of things in Genesis. The Bible has plenty to say about sex. And our culture, ironically, our culture is always talking about sex, but honestly has very little to say. Whereas the church, on the other hand, has so much to say and often feels awkward just saying it. Sometimes we're afraid to begin the conversation. I don't know if I dare do this. Just turn to the person next to you and tell them where it is that you first heard about or found out about sex. What was the source of your first information about sex? Nobody's going to make you tell it in public. And if you don't know the person next to you and you don't feel comfortable doing that, just go, uh, whatever. But <clears throat> just turn to the person next to you and, and tell them, you know, how was it that you first heard information about sex in your life? Where did you hear it from? Just take a minute to do that. <coughs> okay. How many people... F- no, I won't, wait. I won't ask you to raise your hands. There was a survey and it said this. That um, This is a survey that says, you know... Where did people find out about sex first? 25% of people find out about it from magazines. Hands up anybody? 25% find out from magazines. 19% find out from friends. 13% find out from books. 11% from the internet. 8% from teachers. 7% from parents. 4% from TV. And nobody from the church. Isn't that dreadful? And yet, the best foundation for sex, it's right there. It's all here in the Bible. It's all here. I want us to look at a passage in Proverbs. The passage is Proverbs 15, sorry, 5 and verses 15 to 19. 
There's about four verses here. You can look it up for yourselves to prove that it's in there. It says, drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breasts satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. That's about as steamy as we're going to get today, by the way. We won't go any sort of, we're not not going anywhere in Song of Solomon today, just so you know. You see, this is from Proverbs, and Proverbs is all about skills for life. It's advice, it's wisdom on life. It's teaching on how to do life well, in many aspects. I mean, there's stuff in there about money and jobs and parenting and work. The early chapters in Proverbs contain quite a few warnings, actually, quite a few negatives around the dangers of sex in the wrong place and inappropriate places. But I think that this passage beautifully captures some of the Bible's basic instruction on sex. You see, it might not seem it at first to you. This might seem quite passe to you, but this is actually a really steamy passage. If you look below the surface, this is a very graphic text. There are metaphors here to do with water and cisterns and wells and springs and fountain. The wife of your youth is portrayed as the source, the only source of water, of refreshment. Drink water from your own cistern. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. We're meant to grow old together, we're meant to stay together, and we're meant to rejoice in one another. Drink from your own well, not from somebody else's. But there is even stronger and more euphemistic language here. So another way to read this would be, drink water from your own. Should your semen overflow in the public streets? Now, it's not literally talking about overflowing in public, I don't think. Okay? But it's saying, where is the appropriate place for this to happen? Verse 18. You know, just uh, let them be yours alone. May your fountain... I mean, yeah, this is a big euphemism. You should read that as, may your penis be blessed. Okay? I'm not making this up. I've looked into this. As you rejoice in the wife of your youth. And that word intoxicated... May you be ever intoxicated with the love. That means captivated. It means ravished. It means beside yourself with love. Be led astray. It's talking about being swept away with delight. Sex is designed to be intense and fulfilling and satisfying such that your senses are stolen away. This isn't a suggestion. It's not a description. It's a command. So, when you get home, try writing that on a little bit of paper and sticking it on your fridge as a memory verse to remember. God is saying, I command you to have fun. Okay? Did you know that the only purpose for a woman's clitoris is for sexual enjoyment? Because God thought it would be a good idea. There's no biological reason. God could have invented any other way to have offspring, but would have not have brought pleasure. He's not afraid. He's not awkward about this. He's not embarrassed about sex. It's not dirty. It's not smutty. It's not demonic. It's meant to be about fun. This is meant to be about the husband and wife locking the doors, turning down the lights, and having fun and making God smile. It's an incredible gift with incredible potential for blessing. Now, it's a little bit heavy today. I'm going to show you a video to hopefully make you smile. Um, This is... uh, this is about 10 years ago, and it's a sort of um, comedy group called The Flight of the Concords. 
Um, it's, please take it in the spirit it's intended. It's ironic. It's meant to look at some stere- typical stereotypes around sex. It's called business time. Have, have a look at this. We'll do another song. Maybe you can pop the lights down. Somebody. Conditions are perfect. There's nothing good on TV. Conditions are perfect. You're leaning close and say something sexy like, I might go to bed, I've got work in the morning. I know what you're trying to say, baby. You're trying to say, oh yeah, it's business time. It's business time. That's not part of it, but it's still very important. (laughs) Then, we're in the bedroom. You're wearing that ugly old baggy t-shirt from that team building exercise you did for your old work. (laughs) And it's never looked better on you. Team building exercise 99. Oh, you don't know what you're doing to me. I remove my jeans, but trip over them because I still got my shoes on. But then I turn it into a sexy dance. Next thing you know, I'm down to just my socks. And you know when I'm down to just my socks, what time it is. It's time for business. It's business time. That's why they call business socks. It's business. It's business time. Making love. Making love for two. Making love for two minutes. When it's with me, you only need two minutes. Because I'm so intense. (laughs) Two minutes in heaven is better than one minute in heaven. You say something like, is that it? I know what you're trying to say. You're trying to say, oh yeah, that's it. (laughs) Then you tell me you want some more. Well, I'm not surprised. But I'm quite sleepy. I think I might live to regret showing you that. 
Um, it's about 35 million hits on YouTube, that song. Um, sex, sex works best when you work at it. Great sex doesn't just happen overnight. It takes work and practice to get it right. It's a command, just like loving your enemies. And we're not very good at that either, to start with. We need to practice. It requires investment. And the most effective way to invest in our sex life is to communicate about it. And that can be a challenge, because both people need to be ready to talk openly, candidly, kindly. There's a passage in Corinthians, I'm going to read it from the message. 1 Corinthians 7, 3-5, it says, The marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. The husband seeking to satisfy his wife, the wife seeking to satisfy her husband. Marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to serve the other, whether in bed or out. And in truth, there are many marriages that would work much better <clears throat> if we made a decision to serve one another. If we decided that sex should be satisfying for both partners. And just being a bit candid here, guys are terrible at taking directions. And I'm not just talking about in the car. Some guys don't even know that they're supposed to ask for directions. They think they, want to, they, think they know where they're going, they want to get there fast. And they don't see the need to stop and figure out what a woman's sexual needs are, what her desires are, what her preferences are. And often the only way a woman will properly communicate that is when a guy actually asks. Sometimes she's waiting for a guy to ask her, what do you like? Husbands, have you asked your wife lately? You know, what is it? Is she satisfied with your sex life? You only get to this point with really good communication. Getting that right is the key to marriage. Now, you know, Joe and I have a lot going on in our lives. We run a church, we run a home, we have three children. Just like many of you, we've got busy jobs and busy lives. Okay? We're trying to be part of community. And at the centre of all this busyness is us, our relationship, our marriage, our emotions, our sex life. We have to work hard at this, about the communication. We have to work hard at facilitating that emotional connection that's required so that the physical side really works. So we were on a date a few weeks ago and we did just what I'm encouraging all of you married people to do particularly. We just had a, had a long and frank chat about our relationship, about our emotional side, about the physical side. And um, it, it's, those conversations are hard. They're not easy to have. But they're really worthwhile. Because if you are married, then this is, the, this is right at the centre of your relationship. Sex works best when we spend time investing in it. It's essential. There's too much at stake not to. And the most important sex organ is the brain. So we need to communicate our needs and our desires. There's a great starting point for this in the Bible. I said I wasn't going to go there with the Song of Songs, and I'm not. The Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon, but it's a mind-blowing text. The church tried to ban it from being in the Bible, because it was so awkward for them. And if you are married, I really want to encourage you to study the Song of Songs. Go and get that book and read it together and work through it. Not as an allegory for God and the church, but as a manual that shows how it's possible to have fulfilling sex with the same person over a really long period of time. I'm not talking about just the once, I'm talking about a lot of times over a long period of time. You know what I'm talking about. One of the keys to this, you see, one of the key lies in our culture is that the only way sex can be exciting is if we have multiple partners. That's a lie in our culture. Another lie that our culture tells us is you need to be a gymnast for sex to be really fulfilling and exciting. 
our culture screams at us. It's impossible to enjoy sex with the same person again and again and again. And that's a lie. It's just not true. In fact, actually, it's pretty scary what our culture does portray about sex. There's a lie that says that sex has to be so intense that the neighborhood dogs are howling and the bed is shaking. Just like on TV. And actually, young people particularly need to know that that stuff's just not real. It really just isn't real. Like how cars get blown up on TV and then there's not a scratch on them. The intensity of sex depicted on TV is so often fabricated. And if we try and replicate that kind of intensity in our marriages, well, we'll be incredibly frustrated and we'll totally miss the point. You see, the other thing that I want to talk about is how sex is about intimacy as well as intensity. God did design sex to be intense, to be an intense experience, but he also designed it to be intimate. And the best definition I've ever heard of intimacy is this one. It's four words. In, to, me, see. See, we are, the only, we, are, we are one of the only creatures on the planet who have sex face to face. Not like most animals. You know, the man and the woman were naked and they knew no shame. And Alan Scott said this, the problem in our culture is not that people are rushing to get naked, but that they aren't getting anywhere near naked enough. Often, all that people are doing is just taking off their clothes. But what they're not really being doing, what they're not really doing is being naked, truly naked with one another, not really seeing into one another's soul and heart and mind and work and home life and computer and checkbook. You see, sex is designed not just to be skin on skin. It's designed to be way more intimate than that. Way more profound. Way more connected. It's not just about entering one another's bodies. It's about entering one another's hearts and minds and worlds. We're designed to be intimate without fear or shame. That's what the Bible says. It's possible to share... Do you know, it is possible to share a bed with someone and even have regular sex with them but actually be profoundly disconnected from that person. I mean, I know tons of people who've had that experience. And to be doing that is really not enjoying this wonderful, incredible gift to its maximum value. It's possible to have the most intense sexual experience, but completely lack any intimacy at the core of it. And God's plan is so much better than that. It's so much more than that. I'm going to generalise a little bit here to make my point. There's an old saying, how do men spell intimacy? The answer is S-E-X. How do women spell intimacy? Well, the answer is T-I-M-E, time. Or is it T-A-L-K, talk. Whatever it is, they don't spell it the same. And the truth is, you know, um, guys actually rarely enjoy sex unless the woman is enjoying it. They usually feel pretty insecure about it. They need to feel they can satisfy a woman. And the women really enjoy, very, rarely enjoy sex if it's just purely physical. For a woman particularly, it needs to have an emotional and a mental connection. So men and women often come to this with very different experiences, very different expectations, very different desires, very different sex drives. The sex drive is usually stronger in a man. It's fairly true to say that men are ready for sex pretty much most of the time. 
and whatever else is going on. Somebody once said they're like waffles, very good at compartmentalizing. Women, on the other hand, are not always ready for sex. Somebody said they're more like spaghetti. Everything is connected. And it's normal to have differences in desire. In fact, it's inevitable. And when couples have been together a long time, especially if they've got kids, then it's possible to get into a cycle where even just start thinking about sex comes really low down the list of priorities. One wife wrote this. She wrote, sex is low on my list. After a long day with two small kids, by bedtime I'm simply exhausted. I wish sex were more important to me. It makes me so sad. I don't know how to balance my husband's desires with my own lack of desire and exhaustion without feeling guilty or used. And that is really challenging. That is really challenging. You know, as I said, typically a woman really needs an emotional connection. And typically a guy needs a physical connection. And both have to understand where the other one is at. I typed this sentence in my, in my computer this morning. I tried to write understand, and both have to understand. And the computer changed it to undress. I thought that was quite funny. <laughs> you know, that autocorrect thing. A woman can experience a man's desires as being really insensitive to where she's at. And he can experience her lack of desire as rejection. And they can both get into a cycle where both parties are unhappy. And just not really communicating and probably not having much sex. And actually, the husband holds the key here to his wife's sexual desires. And it's not by claiming his conjugal rights or announcing it's business time. It's not about controlling or manipulative. You know, I've put the bin out this morning because I'm going to get lucky tonight. That's pretty easy to see through. The starting point for love is an emotional connection. And if you're looking for an example, fellas, here's a really good one. Look no further than Jesus himself. It says in Ephesians, Paul writes, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And gave himself up for her. If you're looking for an example of selfless, serving and giving of love. Of one person leaving behind his desire. And coming to where the other person is at. To meet them in that place. Then Jesus is the ultimate example. He leaves his own desires and comes to us, to the church where we're at. And he pretty much gives himself up for us. I mean, he does. He dies for us. That's a really profound and helpful picture. And in the same way, <clears throat> a man needs to learn to leave behind his needs and his desires and come to where his wife is at. When a man does that and focuses on paying attention to his wife and affirming her, it will radically alter the dynamic of the relationship. When a woman experiences affirmation, well, then her partner, her passion for her partner is ignited. And she's then much more likely to take the initiative sexually and begin a process which probably, properly invested in, properly communicated with and thought through will result in both partners being satisfied and fulfilled and validated. And when we journey that emotional process, we realise that intensity and intimacy are inextricably linked. That they're both really important. And the truth is that most people in our culture miss this. Many people miss this. They're looking for intensity without intimacy. 
Actually, many people are looking for intimacy and they think that intensity is the way to get it. Do you know what I'm saying? They're looking for someone who will accept them completely as they are. Who, and then they think, well, I'll get that by giving my body to that person. Some teenage, sometimes teenagers will sleep together and they'll say, oh, we're so close. They're not close at all. They don't even know what it is to be really intimate. Exchanging bodily fluids has nothing to do with closeness. It's completely different. Again, Alan Scott says, closeness is about locking eyes with someone who knows you completely, who covers your vulnerability, who embraces your intimacy and has no fear or shame in that moment. That is the kind of intimacy, into me see, that God has in mind for us. And sex is the ultimate covenant sign of that and the ultimate celebration of that kind of closeness. That's what the Bible teaches. Imagine if our culture was experiencing sex as it was really meant to be. Where intimacy and not insecurity were the hallmark. There wasn't any kind of, how was that for you, performance related judgment. But actually, just sacrificial giving of one another, aiming to serve and satisfy the other person. Some guys will even fake intimacy to get sex. They'll pretend to be really close until they get to have physical sex and then, you know, they'll realise it was just faking. Some women, on the other hand, will fake sex to get intimacy. Pretend that it's incredible. Just so they can be held and loved and known and feel that sense of belonging. They just don't want to lose that emotional connection. And God's design is that we embrace both intimacy and intensity. You'll be pleased to know I'm coming into land. There's a myth in our culture that sex is just what we do with our bodies. It's just physical. It's just skin on skin. The problem with that is, if it was true, then why can't we erase the memories that we carry around with us? Why are sexual experiences so profoundly locked in our mind? Because sex is about so much more than just skin on skin. If I were to ask, and I'm not going to ask, but if I were to ask how many of us are carrying around sexual memories from the past which we'd just frankly rather not be carrying, I bet many of you would have something to respond to on that. Because the truth is many of us are haunted by these things and we just wish we could erase them. You know, one of the key reasons that the Bible says that sex is for marriage is because sex outside marriage often leaves scars. You know, the Bible says in um, 1 Corinthians, flee from sexual immorality. All of the other sins a person commits are outside the body, but if you commit sexual sins, it's a sin against your own body. And yes, it's perfectly true that sins can be forgiven and wiped clean, but scars take time to heal. And many of us find we carry the scars of sexual encounters either done to us or done by ourselves for a long, long time. You know, um, we were talking to um, Claire and Mervyn and our Sozo team about this. And you know, our, our Sozo team helped many, many people to get free from all kinds of experiences. But many of them, lots of emotional and spiritual wounding and healing goes on there. It's a wonderful tool. 
Sozo is a wonderful tool to help people connect with God and, and f- get free from their stuff. And we asked them, what are the common issues that people that come up when you're doing Sozos? They don't tell us details, but we just asked for what are the common issues that come up in Sozos in the area of sexual brokenness. And we got a whole list. These are the things that regularly people bring to a Sozo, to a counselling or prayer session. So this is something that I've struggled with in the past. Pornography. Being introduced to pornography at a very early age. As I said, Chris is going to look at that whole subject next week. Confusion around masturbation. You know, the Bible is very, it's kind of silent on masturbation. It's, it's not saying it's right or wrong. The fantasy life that's associated with it is often very wrong or unhelpful. But then people reported about manipulation in sex, feeling pressurised, feeling abnormal. They reported struggling with having past promiscuous partners and having soul ties. You know, real, that emotional, that connection with previous partners affecting their current relationship with their husband or wife now. People have reported having wrong beliefs about mindsets and about intimacy. They've reported not being able to forgive themselves for past sexual experiences you know, they've brought perverted sex before marriage and sexual stuff coming down generational lines. That's a whole lot of issues. That's a whole lot of stuff. That's a whole lot of memories and the potential for a lot of scars. The stuff stays with us and messes with us. And you know, the enemy, God's enemy has a field day with this. But wonderfully, many, many times in Sozo, the team have seen people get free, really free. There is hope in this area. God can deal with painful memories and he can heal the past and he brings restoration and he restores a gift of purity. And if you've suffered for a long time with painful memories of consequences of sexual brokenness, then I'm really, I, want to, I just want to finish this morning by telling you there is hope and there is change and God can and does heal. There is freedom and there is healing in this area. I've experienced it myself in some measure and I'm still thinking about and working through and praying through some of those things. God is a master of restoration. And we can experience, we can experience sexual freedom and purity. You know, there are courses in the church that will help. You know, you can go for a sozo appointment if, this stuff, if you think that this stuff is going to help you. We're going to be running another marriage course in the autumn and the recovery course will run again as well. There's always, there are places that we can get support, but it doesn't have to wait till the course. It can start right here and now. There is always hope. Claire was sharing me with a, pic, a picture with me before church, just a picture of two wash tubs, like the old-fashioned wash tubs, and one of them was full of soap suds. And you know, in the old days, they used to rub, just rub the clothes with the soap suds until they got really clean, and it was just that sense of God really, really wanting to and able to rub and wash people clean. Clean of condemnation. Clean of shame. Clean of guilt and judgment. Jesus really can and does put new robes on us. So to summarise, for this morning, God wants married people to be enjoying a fantastic and fulfilled sex life as part of an incredible, honest and vulnerable emotional heart at the centre of their marriage. So if you're married, I want to throw out a challenge to you. I want you to make two commitments. One is to develop a really healthy attitude towards your sex life. And two, specifically, is I want you to make an appointment with your wife or husband to specifically discuss your needs and expectations and preferences in the bedroom. Not because by doing that, you're not, you're not saying that anything is wrong. 
but just because it's a healthy and a godly thing to do. And you can go home and you can say, the pastor told you to do that. That was your homework. And if you're not married and you're sexually active, I just want you to consider something that you might be missing out. You might be missing something here. There might be more to this than you're experiencing. There's a pathway to intensity and intimacy which leads beyond our current experience. And if that's you, I'd just love you to think about that. I'd love you to talk to God about it. He wants people who aren't married to know and have a full appreciation of sexuality and to know security and peace and freedom in this area of their lives. And if you're single, I just want to encourage you that in Jesus we have a role model of someone who is not married and yet had a fantastically healthy attitude towards this whole area. It's possible to have a really healthy attitude towards the opposite sex and the whole thing of intimacy and identity. And it's entirely possible to be free and fulfilled. And we'll talk more about that over the next couple of weeks too. We're going to pray and we're going to have communion together. So why don't we stand first? And worship guys, why don't you come back? We're going to celebrate communion this morning and then we're going to just offer a chance for people to respond in prayer or have ministry if you'd like to do that.